HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Hey, you freaks. What's going on? Happy holidays to everyone. Um, HRN is currently on a couple weeks break, and so we are going to re-release our world-famous episode about Christmas from last year, as I recall. There's some talk about gingerbread. I remember having a great time. It was back in the day when we used to come at you live and direct from our studio at Roberta's. Um, currently, I'm recording this sitting at my friend's kitchen counter in Kingston. I'm up here for a little, a little holiday with my two best friends and their two kids, and it is quite adorable. We're making lasagna. We're trimming the tree. There's all kinds of cuteness happening. And there's snow on the ground here that's not completely brown like in New York City. So I'm really enjoying myself. Um, That being said, I also kind of feel blue about some things. Um, Not the easiest holiday season. And, you know, is it ever? I mean, some are better than others. Um, You know, a lot of things I miss and some other stuff and I don't feel great, but I also am happy to be here, which brings me to my point. You can be both. And if you're having complicated feelings surrounding the holidays, um, and one minute you feel psyched or nostalgic and the next you're crying and shoveling, you know, figgy pudding into your mouth and pouring eggnog in your eyes, then, you know, you're not alone. It is, uh, it's complicated for a variety of reasons and whatever you're feeling is okay. You already know that, but I just figured I'd, I'd say that and also, you know, try to relate to you and let you know that I also feel sad. Let me say it again. I'm kind of sad. Nicole, how are you? I'm also sad. That's my Nicole impression because she is not here. She's in Indiana. I'm doing this intro alone. Anyway, <clears throat> pardon, in an effort to, you know, raise everyone's spirits and what have you. I have a couple of strange Christmas foods from decades past. Now, I'm reluctant to talk about foods that are wacky because everybody loves something and I'm certainly not trying to shame anyone, but these are so ancient that it feels safe. So the first one I'd like to mention, I got this from a list from my favorite website and yours, littlethings.com. The first thing that they mention that used to be a Christmas tradition in the medieval times, that's a very long time ago, in Europe never heard of it, uh, was peacock meat. Can you believe that, folks? 
peacocks. They have such gorgeous feathers and, and yet we're willing to just to roast them up and eat them. Dunk them in gravy. Um, anyway, we don't really eat peacocks anymore. Maybe some of you do. They made peacock pie, roasted peacock, and according to this website, many other variations that inco- included the feathered bird. But it all changed in the 16th century when England's Henry VII decided to have turkey instead. So anyway, now we don't eat peacock anymore. You can thank Henry VII for that. Thanks a lot, Henry VII. Another thing you did that I don't like. He's my least favorite Henry. Okay. Birds inside a hollowed out seal. This is a tradition from Greenland and it's called kivak. And it dates back to some of the very first, it's this website says some of the very first men to roam earth. So like we're looking at you littlethings.com sexist assholes. Women ate kivak as well and people who are non-binary. Um, it's made up of hundreds of little birds preserved inside a hollowed out seal. Um, if you're into seal meat, I guess this, this is for you. Um, let's keep going here. Now this next one isn't, you know, gross or strange. Um, but it's funny because it reminds me of a story about my dad. The third is a a cake with a single dried bean and a pea inside of it. According again to my favorite website, littlethings.com, this delicacy was served throughout the 18th and 19th centuries on January 5th, which is a day before my mom's birthday which was one of the most important nights on the festive calendar. Although this dessert, also known as the 12th cake, looks fairly normal, it has a few ingredients and an old tradition that make it extremely unique. Inside the dessert is a dried bean and a dried pea. And whoever found the bean was deemed king for the night and whoever found the pea was the queen. Now, look at this. You may have heard the story already. I don't remember. I have no memory of repeating things, but I know that I do. So my parents used to own a company called The Love and Oven, like a small boutique catering company in Huntington before I was born and when I was a little baby. And my dad dropped a penny accidentally in a cake one day. And when the person came back and they were irate, he basically like ripped off the story and told them that they had won like 10 free cakes, which seems like excessive. What is someone supposed to do with 10 cakes? But anyway, that's what, that's what happened. I guess he got from this. Um, another thing, now we're going to flash forward to the 1960s. There's a lot of gelatin things and I guess a vegetable and tuna jelly roll wreath was quite popular um hey look if you like jello you like jello who am i to to crash on your parade is that a saying who knows um they also list goose pie doesn't sound that weird a shape a sheep's head um which i'm pro we used to do whole roasted pig's head all the time at the restaurant a head is great there's good meat in the head okay this is na- the christmas sheep's head is known as a small hove and the meat has moved up the societal ladder over centuries I don't know what that's supposed to mean, littlethings.com. Please contact us. Um, Fried caterpillars are a South African tradition. I think that could be nice. They look crunchy. Um, Dried whitefish, that's not weird at all. And this is my favorite. Number 10. Coming in on 10, this is a complete, total 50s retro thing. It's called shrimp on a Christmas tree. Um, Basically, you make a Christmas tree shape out of curly kale and then you stick shrimp on it with olives and you serve it to your guests and they pick them off the tree. Now this looks fun. I'm completely with it. However, there's an issue for me with keeping the shrimp cool. They're just, you know, affixed to this warm tree, which doesn't seem great. But anyway, it's definitely cute. That's for sure. So folks, 
please enjoy this recycled Christmas episode. I hope that it makes you laugh and cry and have a ball. Um, and for realsies, hang in there. Or if you're, you know, doing great and thriving, fucking good for you. Keep thriving. Keep on keeping on. Um, and we'll see you in 2021 when the world is completely different than it is now because I'm, I'm sure that's what everybody is hoping uh, is going to happen. Guess what? It's not. It's still going to be shitty forever. Just kidding. Um, okay, everyone. I think I've outstayed my wel- outwarmed my welcome. My welcome is now cold and I'm going to leave. Nicole, sorry that you couldn't join me for this. I'm sure you would be cringing and rolling your eyes at me the entire time anyway. And... Yeah, love you guys all, and uh, happy holidays, and happy new year. Okay, hasta la paz. Telling Nicole, my kids are a Christmas episode. Should we sing Merry Christmas? And then I was like, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, dear Jeet and Nicole. Merry Christmas to you. And many more. <laughs> Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a show about Christmas. <laughs> Welcome, elves. It's like that Christmas store that's open all year round, but it's a podcast. Yes, it's like that. Or the <laughs> Halloween store that's open all year round, but it's also a Christmas podcast. They're not open all year round. They're not? No. Hmm. They the just take abandoned Square? warehouses and they just open them for like a month. No, 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 oh, the one frere. <laughs> The one in Union Square. That's like a costume shop, though. Yeah, but I mean, you don't wear costumes that often outside of Halloween. That's all I'm saying. You do in New York where everyone's an actor. That's true. Or if you're into weird LARPing. Yes. Or normal LARPing. Or any kind we of We don't LARPing. upset the LARPing community. That Sorry, LARPers. Huge fans of Weird LARPing. All our LARPer listeners are just like, fuck you guys. We quit. <laughs> we quit this dumb show. <laughs> God, we're going back to LARPing. All right. Goodbye. Okay. And this is our Christmas. <laughs> what are you doing for Christmas, Dingling? I'm going to Indiana. Uh-huh. Apolis. Ooh. <laughs> Spooky Christmas. <laughs> um, I feel bad because last episode I said that Indianapolis wasn't cool. I was mean of you. And I feel guilty, so I just want to say that it is cool. I just think maybe it could be slightly less cooler than Milwaukee. Yeah. Because of things like city size. That's all. Not because of... Sure. Anyway, no one's listening to this podcast from Indianapolis anyway. Are they? That's fine. Yeah, they are. And it's probably more (laughs) cool than, let's say, Mobile, Alabama. Mobile. Yeah. I mean, Indianapolis has its charms. And I know all of them because I'm from there. Name its number one charm. Also, my friend went there finally... He went there for work, and he loved it. Like, he, I gave him a bunch of recommendations, and he sent me back recommendations of places that he had found. What the hell? And Who's your friend, Peyton Manning? My friend Ryan, who, he used to travel a lot for his old coffee shop. Love Ryan. What up, Ryan Wanslow? Um, He was like, oh, I also ate at this cool, like, Mexican restaurant. And I was like, oh, my God, I never even heard of this place before. And he had a great time. Cool. He also ate at St. Elmo's Steakhouse, which is, like, the oldest steakhouse Really? On the planet. I have no idea. It's <laughs> Earth's <laughs> oldest steakhouse? Does it have anything to do with St. Elmo, Elmo's Fire or America's Forgotten Sweetheart, Emilio Estevez? Well, St. Elmo's Fire is like a natural phenomenon, like the Northern Lights or something. Oh, really? I yeah. never saw the movie, and I don't know where Emilio Estevez has been for the past 25 years. The movie is... Mm, I don't. I've seen the movie, but I don't really remember anything about it. But the steakhouse... Do you see him naked? ...is not related to that. Oh, it's not the same? No. 
Is Saint House has been around since like 1905. Is Saint Elmo the saint of red fur? No. Oh. <laughs> Isn't Elmo the cutest name ever? I hate that whole situation. You hate Elmo? Yes. Really? Even is it the tickling that bothers you? I just feel like it's weird when an entire population of kids somehow knows to want the same toy. Yeah. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. Speaking of Christmas and like people are like squishing each other and stomping on each other's brains and heads. It's like Cabbage Patch it. Kids, which I had as a kid, where like they would be sold out everywhere. And if yeah. you didn't find it in time, it's the theme of so many Christmas movies of yes. bad dads not being able to find the Christmas present in time. Yeah. They're like, this is all I had to do with the only responsibility I had to my children all year. And I still <laughs> just couldn't get it together. So now I have to fight another dad to the death. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then like something crazy is going to happen. And we're going to end up together for the whole movie. And then in the end, we'll kind of be friends. Is that the Sinbad Arnold Schwarzenegger one? I don't know. I just, I just, I, maybe I should be a movie writer. I don't know. It just sounds familiar to me. Yeah. I also think like maybe the Santa Claus, that movie has some sort of Uh, similar theme. Who knows? Yeah. The Santa Claus. And actually Tom Arnold or whatever his name is, Tim Allen was in my head the whole time I was telling that story. So that's maybe the Santa Claus. Maybe. And not Jingle All the Way, which is the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everybody wants to sit on my lap. Ho, ho, ho. No, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Ho, ho, freezing cold winter ice. Cold, <laughs> chilly, freezing igloos. No, That's Mr. Seen, Freeze. You know, he's not in that <laughs> jingle all the way. It's a different character. Freezing Santa's reindeer balls. <laughs> so, anyway. Frozen palms, ice skating and falling through the ice. I don't know how somehow you managed to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, no matter what we talk about. <laughs> Hot and spicy tacos. Tacos? Shut up. I'm just saying, I could apply it to anything. Anyway, I have things to do, so let's talk about... Are you curious at all what I'm going to do for Christmas? It doesn't seem so, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I don't think that... I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to go to Bomonti's on Christmas Eve. Like oh, I right. do every Your goddamn year. That's yes. cute. Tradition. Um, what did you tell me recently tradition. about the old, the oldest oh, waiter there? Oh, my God. So <laughs> I've been going to Bomonti's forever. But literally, though, I'm 35 now, and I've been going to Bomonti's since I was, like, 20. Mm-hmm. So that's 15 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a waiter there who you guys might remember from Bon Appetit. He was in the issue a couple months back. He was? Yeah. He was, like, in their Italian-American. He was, like, a centerfold. He was not nude, thank heavens. But his name is Silvio, and I love him. He's mm-hmm. my bud, and he always takes good care of us. He's great stories. I've been at Bomonti's hundreds of times, I yeah. think. And, you know, we we embrace every time I go in there. He gives me a big kiss on the cheek. He's great. He looks very old. Now, Silvio, if you're listening, no offense, but you do look a bit elderly. Also, you're not listening, so it's fine. But I found out the other day, because I was reading something, I don't know where it came up, um that maybe the farmer's almanac that he's 70 only he's only 70 but he i would believe that he was 95 you can't be (laughs) it's just really funny that you think that someone would still be serving tables at 95 i mean my parents are 70 and they look great like i don't know what what's going on here but he's you know fit and lively but he does look as though he's definitely at least 85 he looks i would agree with that i mean i've met him many times he but 70s old not that as old as 85. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, mean, I maybe was shocked. He's, maybe he's lying about his age. Well, that's true. That's actually probably makes the most amount of sense. I'll have to just ask him how old he is, which I know is uncouth, but I don't care. No, you can ask a man how old he is. Yeah. You just can't ask a woman. Men are allowed to age as long as they want. Women have to stop. Maybe I'll just slice his leg off and count the rings. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so 
What are we talking about today, Nicole? What you got for us? Um, so this is our Christmas episode, and I wanted to do so many things. And eventually, I had this whole list of things, and I'm like, I'm going to just do little blurbs about all of them, like candy canes, figgy pudding. But in fact, I started researching fruitcake, and it's just... There's so much there that I had to just do fruitcake. So fascinating. You know, I also think fruitcake really gets a bad rap because you can make a perfectly good fruitcake and even a bad one. I think I'd probably like. So this is. I have a question. Do you have eaten fruitcake then? Well, okay. I've never eaten the fruitcake that has like the color, really like neon colored fruit jellies in it. But I have eaten like other fruit cakes. Like, like in what? Like where did you get them? Well, I make a somewhat of a fruitcake that's you make delicious. Fruit cake. Yeah, it's kind of a fruitcake. It's very dense. I think you would love it. Sure. You make it with, I don't remember where I got this recipe, but I obviously adapted it to meet my own needs. But you take like apricots, figs, prunes, all kinds of dried fruit, like yep. dried cherries, no craisins, no thank you. You could put a craisin. I don't like a craisin. Yeah, I'm not so into them, but I, I like um, dried cherries. But anyway, so you take all that and like a bunch of different nuts, crazy nuts, cashews, walnuts, hazelnuts, <laughs> Pistachios. Brazil nuts? Brazil nuts. And then there's... Because those are crazy nuts. I don't like a Brazil nut. A Brazil nut has no place. They're nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you mix it together. I think there's a little flour in there, like cinnamon. and like. Wait, so you don't soak the fruits in booze? You can, but But, not for this. You you, you don't. Me, no. Okay. No, no. Heavens to Murgatroyd, no. But you could. And anyway, so it's bound together with like a very little tiny bit of flour and sugar. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe an egg. And, um, like, cinnamon and nutmeg and some, you know, pumpkin spices. And then uh, you bake it. And it's really just, like, a fruit log. It's like a, like a candy bar, almost. It is. I think I might make it this year. I'll give you a slice. I'll give you a sliver. I think you'd like it. It's very good. I, so, I actually, I'm pretty sure I've never had fruitcake. Yeah. Um, I definitely, as a child, did not like nuts or chunks in things. So, mm. if it was around, I would have not eaten it. Sure. Um, and if it had been around, it probably would have been store-bought. But, um... I also was recently really interested in Jamaican black cake recipes because they've been posting a lot about them in the New York Times. Mm. Jamaican black cake is just a Caribbean fruitcake um, with a ton of rum. And so basically, Ooh, yum. essentially, you take all that dried fruit, you soak it in booze for like three months, and then you blend it into a paste, Ooh. and you incorporate that into the dough... And then, and this this is not like a very don't make the recipe based on me reciting it to you. Um, but <laughs> then you bake it, and then once it's as soon as it's out of the oven, you pour rum all you just like pour rum all Whoa. over the cake because it'll absorb all this rum, and then um, it's like this really dense, rich rum cake. With, so you probably get wasted from eating it. Well, I mean, most of the alcohol bakes off. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, is like just like in this cake, as in most fruit cakes, the the high amount of sugar and alcohol preserves the cake, so it can it'll last for potentially years. <laughs> really? Yeah. But whoa, let's go into it, please. Um, so fruit cake, just a little factoids here. The average weight of a fruit cake is two pounds. Oh, that's heavy. And the Harper's Index, which is how we compare density of items, says that it is the same density as mahogany. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the same flavor, am I right, ladies? Yeah, it's a little chewier than yeah. mahogany, I think. Yeah, that's, I would think, yes. Um, okay, so fruitcake is 2,000 years old. Each one? 
No. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. They were all made 2,000 years ago. Um, the first recipe that they found is from ancient Rome. It's pomegranate seeds, pine nuts, and raisins mixed with barley mash. Oh, yuck. Sounds gross. I don't like pine nuts. It's one of the only two things I don't like. Huh. I'll eat a pine nut, though, but they make... You know why I don't like pine nuts? This is a little sidebar. They can if, get rancid. Well, yes, and if you get cheap pine nuts that are not Italian pine nuts... Um, they can have an effect in your mouth where they make you taste bitter for like a week, and that will happen to me <laughs> if I eat cheap, shitty pine nuts. All right. Well, these are probably not cheap, shitty pine nuts. I'm sure they were the, the best quality. In the year 19, which was 2,000 <laughs> years ago. Uh, <laughs> um, also, it's been around, you know, forever. Crusaders took them when they went to the Holy Land to go fuck shit up over there. Um... In the early 18th century, it was banned Uh-oh. by the church no. for being too sinful and oh. rich. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would ban it again. Am I right, everyone? <laughs> Wait till I get to the jokes section. Okay, perfect. Of this, okay? um, <laughs> it was a popular wedding cake choice. Oftentimes, that Jamaican black cake was made for weddings, too. Oh, nice. Um, That's and fun. obviously, you know, it's probably... Some result of colonization, but who cares? Um, <laughs> it was a popular wedding cake choice, and in the 19th century, it was customary for guests of the wedding to sleep with a slice of fruit cake under their pillow <laughs> so they would dream about who they were going to marry. Oh, my God. I'm going to do that every night until I find a boyfriend or husband. <laughs> um, Queen Victoria, Charles and Di, and Kate Middleton and Prince William all had fruit cake as their wedding cake. Yeah. Really? Yeah, with frosting on it. Yeah. With frosting on it? Yeah. So they had a big, beautiful cake. And what did it weigh? Like 700 pounds? I mean, I love spice cake. <laughs> sure, me too. But I'm just saying, you're already saying it's two and a half pounds. I'm picturing per slice. Per loaf. <laughs> so, no, but those lo- loaves are tiny. You have like a giant royal wedding cake. It probably has 10 layers. So that's 20 pounds. Okay. It just sounds like really heavy. <laughs> but I totally well, eat it. Well, they don't have to carry it. The servants do that. That's true. I'd eat almost anything, though. Um, yeah, so now we should talk about, so basically back then people were like, yay, fruitcake is chill, we love it. Let's take it to the Crusades with us, yum. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously we know now that it had a fall from grace. So mail order cakes became available in 1913, and the phrase nutty as a fruitcake was coined in 1935. Interesting. And... Most likely, as all things, the reason why people started hating fruitcake is because it started to become mass-produced. Mm-hmm. The quality was not great, and they would be really dry and oh yeah, gross. Um, so mass production kills, you guys. Um, and so some people also. So then, like, basically, what we can say is. There's some nutty fruitcake out there right now. It's a surprise party. There's a surprise party. And someone or a is freaking the fuck party. out. Santa is not real. Anyway. It's a big, it's a Santa reveal. Congratulations on your birth. Um, <laughs> so a lot of people, so whatever, it started to decline in popularity. A lot of people think that Johnny Carson is actually responsible for society's dislike of fruitcake because he made a joke that there is actually only one fruitcake in the world and everyone just passes it around (laughs) to each other. Um, That's funny. But that's not true because there are jokes about fruitcake in the Donna Reed show and Father's Knows Best which came out 
years before The Tonight Show. So it's not a Johnny Carson. Also, it can kind of be traced back to jokes that were made in Warner Brothers cartoons. So pretty much, theoretically, Warner Brothers cartoons were the first people to like publicly make fun of fruitcake. Do you think that fruitcake is the most shamed food of all time? Possibly. Is anything more like made fun of and it's shamed? Like an, it's like an easy joke. Yeah. Um... What happened next, guys? (laughs) You tell us. Really, I'm in a party out there. Um, Okay, so that was Fruitcake kind of then, but obviously it didn't really regain popularity. But, I mean, people like you, there have been articles, things have changed. Like, well, what is the problem? What am I like? People that are like, oh, what is the actual problem with Fruitcake? If you'd make it without crappy ingredients, it'll taste good. Right, I thought you were calling me like a human trash can or something. Like, oh, I'll eat anything. People like me. Um, In... So things, you know, whatever. Also, fruitcake, as I mentioned before, can last a very long time. So not all of the American fruitcake recipes have booze in them, but they uh, do have a ton of sugar, and the sugar also acts as a preservative, and it prevents mold. Oh. Um, But a lot of them have the booze, which prevents mold as well, and a lot of ways of storing it back then meant that you would soak cloth in alcohol and wrap that in the cake in that and that would prevent mold so it would last like it would would last for years that's amazing so in 2003 Jay Leno had a guest on his show who brought a family heirloom fruitcake that had been baked in 1878 (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding no that's crazy and he ate a piece of it he did yeah and that's why we have a Jay Leno too now because he he died immediately after he like scraped off a little piece of the pocket knife and he said I think it needs more time (laughs) (laughs) that's a good joke he's a a good joke writer that's funny in 2017 the Antarctic Heritage Trust discovered a hundred year old fruitcake and they declared that it was almost edible oh my god yeah wait Jay Leno ate one that was more than a hundred years old though yeah 1878 he ate it in 2003 that's like not a, I would not have done that if I was him. I can't do math, but but it's preserved. Like I know, but still. The thing is, like it wouldn't hurt you. It just isn't gonna taste. It's not the texture of it's gonna be all weird. Apparently, it had, it had crystallized. Like, the sugar had crystallized. Oh, in so it. it was just okay. Yeah, okay. It became like preserved. Anything. Like a lump of coal. Got like seven hundred year egg or whatever. Sure. Um, they. Um. Right. So and now there's this. People in there, okay, first of all, sorry, I did not realize that there were monks in the United States, but there are, apparently. Oh, yeah, the U.S. is teeming with monks. I had no idea. So there is an abbey called the Assumption Abbey in the Ozarks in Missouri, and they make 25,000 fruitcakes a year to support the abbey. Like, that's how they make their money. Oh, wow, that's cute. Um, They don't use day-glow fruit or citron, which is that bright, like that candied rind that turned green in the Uh olden ones. Very bitter and weird. Um, they do use a lot of rum. They actually, when the cake comes out of the oven, they take syringes and inject rum into it. Oh, my God. Because when it's hot, it absorbs more alcohol. Yeah. It's very interesting. Get down, monks. Do it. Get um, Brother Joseph Reich, who is the chief fruitcake maker at the Abbey, says, the rummier, the yummier. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He also, okay, so they used to, that abbey used to support themselves by making concrete bricks, and then that didn't end up being as lucrative, yeah. and so they now have a saying, so they switched to fruitcake. They're like, if you like our concrete bricks, you'll love our fruitcake. That's their <laughs> slogan. <laughs> 
Isn't that cute? Yes, it's really funny and self-aware. I did not know that there are monks out there making fruitcake, especially not in the United States of America. Yeah, and they're also making fruitcake puns. And they're just monks going around taking tiny syringes full of rum and pushing them into little loaves of fruitcake. It's the cutest. It makes me want to be a monk, to be honest. Yes, same. I want to go to the Ozarks. Sure. Looks um, great. Just watch that show starring Jason Bateman or whatever. But um, December 27th is National Fruitcake Day. Okay, mark your calendar. Okay. Um, and then there's also another national holiday called... Christmas. Toss Your Fruitcake Day, oh. which is on the first Saturday in January. In... <laughs> Manitou or Manitou Springs, Colorado, they have a big to-do about it. Um, people build... Because basically they have a contest to see how far you can throw your fruitcake. Um, people build catapults. They build slingshots. And some people just throw them by hand, which to me is hilarious. That's because awesome. all of your neighbors are, like, building huge catapults, and you're just coming <laughs> out there and being like, and they're like throwing it. It's a competition to see how far you can throw it. So, like, that guy who just throws it by hand is just, like, to me, the hero of the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the record for the farthest fruitcake throw is 1,470 feet. That record was set in 2007 by eight Boeing engineers who created a mock artillery piece fueled by compressed air pumped by an exercise bike. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good use of their time. 1,500 feet. Yeah. That's really, I don't even know how far that is, to be honest. In miles or uh, pounds? How much is that in quarts? I don't know, but that's insane. <laughs> also, don't worry. I mean, this is kind of weird to me, but they they recognize that throwing fruitcake for contests is food waste, so... Everyone who participates has to donate something to a food bank that's not oh. a fruitcake. Okay. But it's still... uh, is that how that works? Like, you make a fruitcake, you throw it on the ground? I don't know. I don't, don't want to judge these people. It seems like it's fun. It seems fun. The There's... spirit of Christmas is alive in me, so... A bunch of, like, drunk coyotes, like, running around. <laughs> fat, huge, diabetic, drunken coyotes running around in this gorge. I don't think that these Boeing engineers are coyotes. Anyway. They're not coyotes, dude. The the coyotes oh, are eating the food the cake. the drunk, fat coyotes. Exactly. That, like, are like, oh my god, I can't. You thought I meant they were coyotes, like drug coyotes? I thought you were just like describing the people of Colorado as coyotes. No, that's terrible. I wouldn't even know what that would mean. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like the animals in the surrounding area that yeah. like are eating all the fruit cakes. Like, yeah. They're glowing eyes. They're like <laughs> glowing fruit eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one more thing for further reading, um, if anyone's a nerd like me and wants to do more research, so probably not anyone, but I recommend Fruitcake is Forever, a humorous column written by Russell Baker for the New York Times in 1983. It's really, it's like the, it's seasonal gourd season of the 80s. It's like making fun of Fruitcake. Amazing. Funny and lame. Send it to me. I want to read it. Okay. We'll post the link to that on our Page, which is Life's Banquet Podcast on Instagram.com. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break. Okay. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally. 
sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. That was an amazingly long break. I was fell asleep three times. Yeah. Um, I am working on a poem that I'm writing. Just kidding. As I mentioned last week, poems make me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, what about rap? Music. Uh, that's not... No. I, I mean, I understand someone can make the argument that rap is poetry, but it's just... It's a rhyme. It's not a poem. Or hmm. it is. I just mean the idea of someone, like, writing a poem and then reciting it to me makes me feel sweaty and uncomfortable. But that will never happen, so I don't have to worry about it. You don't. <clears throat> okay, listen, I got all my information today from wikipedia.com, washingtonpost.com, and Spruce Eats. Oh, weird. I also got all of my information from those three websites and the National Geographic. I forgot to mention oh, that at the beginning. Not Geo. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I also looked on Smithsonian for some of my info. So um, I'm going to start this with a joke, as I like to do. Uh, my grandma died after eating too many gingerbread houses last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the joke. That's not a joke. The doctor diagnosed her with a rare case of munch housing syndrome. What? <laughs> Where did you find that joke? Munchausen syndrome. Do you know what that syndrome is? Yes, of course. Munchausen <laughs> by proxy when you it's, make the person next to you or that you love sick. That joke is not funny. <laughs> it is, though. It is really funny. Munchausen syndrome? Come I also on. like that your grandma died from eating too many gingerbread houses well, first as of all, if those are edible. It also doesn't make sense. You'd be like, my grandma like killed my grandpa with because she had Munchausen by proxy. Usually they have to kill their kids. It's always the kid. My grandmother killed my mom because she has was diagnosed with a rare form of Munchausen <laughs> by proxy is a better way to say that joke. But it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> Okay, guys, I'm talking about gingerbread up in this bitch. So, early, earliest forms of gingerbread can be traced to the Greeks and Egyptians, what can't, um, who used it for ceremonial purposes. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of ceremonies. I, my curiosity stopped there. Like human sacrifice, I'm assuming. Exactly. And they just, like, maybe made the sarcophaguses out of gingerbread back in the day. It was like gingerbread men. Why do you think that that is a thing? It's because they used to just kill people. I'm going to tell you why gingerbread men is a thing in a little bit, and it's pretty funny. Um, Gingerbread in Europe in the 11th century uh, was popular with crusaders who brought it back from the Middle East for the aristocrats to cook and experiment with. Huh, this is very similar to my story, but we, the crusaders, took the fruitcake to 
The Crusades. The Crusaders were just taking all the most disgusting things. They're like, all right, I guess we got gingerbread and fruitcake. I love gingerbread. <laughs> I do, too. Also, I just love the story of the Crusaders is they're just, like, toting baked goods around <laughs> and not, Anybody like, wants a gingerbread? slaughtering people for religious reasons. I know. I thought they were eating, like, raw turkey legs, but it turns out it was fruitcake and gingerbread. How sophisticated. You know what, like, a really important film about the Crusades is? is Robin Hood starring Kevin Costner. I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has kind of a British accent in that. For the beginning, and then it goes away. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Kevin Costner. I love him. I love him. I share your love of Kevin he Costner. He can do nothing wrong. Did we ever tell the story on the podcast about the Kevin Costner thing at Brucey? Yes. We did? Yeah. We can't stop talking about it's Kevin funny. Costner. I know, but when people thought he was really going to be there? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have no memory. You know what's funny, though? When people repeat things on other podcasts, I'm like, you already said that, you idiots. But, like, I can't remember what we said. What is that? I, like, turn it off when that happens. I think it's a rare form of Munchausen red proxy. Can people hear the birthday song in the background right now? Yeah. I mean, there's something... There's a birthday party going on here for the This lady has 30 friends. 30 closest friends. Paris Hilton (laughs) up in this bitch. She's getting a birthday cheese plate also. Oh, I mean, that sounds Show off. That's chic. No, it is chic. It's cool. Okay, listen. Back to gingerbread. Um, so early gingerbread was made out of ground almonds, breadcrumbs, rose water, sugar, and ginger. Um, the paste. Ground almonds. Yeah. Then the paste was pressed into wooden molds and then they served it as like a storyboard. So it was kind of made, which is actually interesting because my dad, when I was younger, used to kind of do the same thing, but without, um, gingerbread, but he'd make like a storyboard out of like paper mache and to tell me what's uh, a storyboard in this situation. A storyboard is like, a, like think of a board that looks like this table here, but made out of either ginger or in my family's case, my dad's case, paper mache. And so instead of telling me, um, just reading me nursery rhymes and stories and stuff, he'd create them and like a board or whatever. And then, um, but so I guess they would tell sto- stories of what happened during the day out of gingerbread. Is there a double birthday There's going another on? Another birthday God for someone else. God damn it. Save room for Jesus and his birthday, which is coming up any day now. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Holy Lord. I don't know anything about religion. Um, okay. So, yeah, they would tell stories. They would finish it with gold leaf and gold paint, which sounds extremely extravagant for a <laughs> gingerbread house, but who am I? Um, the first gingerbread man was created in the 16th century by Queen Elizabeth. What? Who? Wait, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth made first. gingerbread men? She wanted, uh, there was a bunch of visiting, like, dignitaries coming to the, the palace, and so she wanted their likenesses to be... Um, <laughs> Made up in gingerbread, and that's how gingerbread men were created. Because I guess it's so like it's so, it's like a food, but it so easily can form into like a wood or paper exactly. thing. Like it's like it designed. Well, I'm gonna tell you, Wikipedia defines a gingerbread man as such. Most gingerbread men share a roughly humanoid shape, <laughs> with stubby feet and no fingers. Many gingerbread men have a face. Though whether the features are indentations within the face itself or other candies stuck on it with icing or chocolate (laughs) varies from recipe to recipe. I'm scared. Other decorations are common. Hair. (gasps) Shirt cut. Hair. Hair. Shirt cuffs and shoes are sometimes applied. Shoes. (laughs) 
Did Martha Stewart write this <laughs> Wikipedia article? My favorite part, with stubby ha- feet and no fingers. No toes so either. If you, <laughs> if you see a gingerbread figure with fingers, it's not a man, or it's a gingerbread alien. Um, other decorations are common. Hair, shirt cuffs, and shoes are sometimes applied. But by far, the most popular decoration is shirt buttons, which are traditionally represented by gumdrops, icing, or everybody's least favorite dried fruit, the raisin. I gotta tell you... I don't mind a raisin. I like raisins. It has to be strategically placed, but I know that they have... It has ha- to be a button. A gingerbread man always has a couple of dots on the front of him, but until this moment, I never realized that those were buttons on his shirt. You thought he had, like, some kind of interesting surgery? I don't know. For his rare case I of Munchausen? I guess that means that Frosty the Snowman's <laughs> wearing button-up shirt also? Yeah, would you think he has three belly buttons? No, I just, like, didn't associate... They were bullet holes? <laughs> they're just, like, they're just three dots. They don't have any... There's nothing... Why would they be wearing clothes? Why would... He, he's not wearing clothes. It's just wearing buttons for some reason on no clothes. He's <laughs> <laughs> nude except for three buttons. But that's what... I mean, that is what my brain thought of without actually thinking of it. But now I realize there must be a shirt. It is an implied shirt. Exactly. <laughs> the shirt is implied. As you'll notice, the pants are not. Otherwise, there would be a fly made out of like a pretzel stick. The gingerbread man is a fairy tale about a gingerbread man who comes to life, outruns an elderly couple and animals, and then in the end, unfortunately, is devoured whole by a fox. Yes, he is. In the night, in the 1812 Grimm's fairy tale, Hansel and Gretel, um, the two kids obviously eat up a house that's made of gingerbread, an old witch that was going to try to eat them. They eat her house? They're eating her house. That's why she gets so pissed. They're nibbling at the house. I mean, she was already pissed. Her life goal is to eat children. Yeah, so. she's a monster. She wanted them to eat the house. But so that's where it became popular from the story. Now they say, really? yes, that's where gingerbread houses came from, basically. However, huh. um, they say that they were already being made like years before, but that the story popularized it. So which came first? The uh, gingerbread house or the <laughs> haunted witch with Munchausen's? Oh my god! <laughs> they actually literally had Munchausen, Hansel and Gretel. They were house Munch- Munchausens. They were Munchausens. Mm-hmm. I'm confused. So, um, and then early German settlers and the Grimm's were German. Um, brought Lebkuchenskuchi. See, can't pronounce it. It's over 25 letters long. This word. Um, otherwise known as the gingerbread bread house tradition to America in the 1800s after the Grimm story. Probably to Milwaukee. To Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the brandy old fashioned and the cheese curd also. Have you had cheese curd? Yeah. It's so squeaky and squishy. Do they do that in Indiana? No. Pretty good. All right. So the tradition of the White House gingerbread house began in the Nixon era. So now every president since Nixon every year has a gingerbread house in the White House. Is it a replica of the White House? It's supposed to be a replica of the White House, although the first one wasn't. <laughs> um, it was just like a house? It's something for the first ladies to do. Yeah, it was just like a basic gingerbread something house. Something for the first ladies to do, because they're bored. Right, because, because they're women. Right, because why don't I take to ruining the world, and or trying to save it in some very rare cases, and you can just decorate this gingerbread house with the White House pastry chef. So... Whatever, it's one of those gender cliched things that the first lady, or maybe coming up soon, the first man. What's Richard or, Nixon's wife's name? Um, Kitty Nixon. Uh, Kate, Kelly Nixon. <laughs> Just kidding. Kelly? 
Um, no, her name is Nancy Reagan. Mrs. Richard Nixon is her name. A Mrs. Richard. I have it here somewhere. I can't remember what her name is. Um, anyway, so that's not important. The most important sure, thing is sure, that, her name. Oh, her, Pat Nixon. Oh, right. Pat yes, Nixon. Yeah. Exactly. Patricia Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the first ladies like take it seriously and kind of get into it. And the houses are always really la- like lavish and they have, you know, intimate portraits of what it's like in the whatever family's <laughs> life. You know, the Obamas had their dog and they and the Clintons had, uh, you know, Monica Lewinsky. I was just going to say that (laughs) I was written in my notes as a joke because it's it's so easy. They're like in the Clinton's house. You could look into all the windows. And I was like, and see Bill Clinton getting a BJ (laughs) made out of a gingerbread BJ and a gingerbread. That's not funny. I like, (laughs) I like Monica Lewinsky. I don't want to slut shame her. I didn't do it. I just said that she would be in the gingerbread representation. She is. She's a gingerbread woman in the whole picture. Um, (laughs) so anyway, but Melania Trump, uh-oh. Has, uh, did you guys, did you see the, like, scary Christmas decorations last year that they had put up? Or maybe the, maybe in 2017? No, I don't, I They were terrifying. Scary, I love scary Christmas decorations. Okay, so I'm going to read for you what I read, um, ripped from the headlines about her Christmas decorations. So she's the only first lady who has chosen not to reveal, so all the other first ladies, like, do a thing where they reveal all the decorations. What do you mean? In they person, have, they're like, this is my decoration, this is my ornament that I like for the tree, and this is special because, you know, me and FDR got it on a trip to Aruba. I hate this. That's so insipid. I wouldn't do it, it either, honestly. Right, but she didn't, I don't think she's doing it because it's insipid. I think she's just doing it because she has a cold heart and is married to, uh, you know. The devil himself. I don't know if she has a cold heart. She's a mail-order bread. That's true. She's mail-order fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's nutty as a fruitcake. She's nutty as a fruitcake. <laughs> and she has Munchausen's by proxy. Um, anyway, she won't do it. Um, she won't do she it. She ref- refuses. Also, I can't, anything, I can't imagine anything more boring than sitting in, like, uh, I'm assuming they're doing this on, like, She's TV like, or this something. This is a red ball. And this is a green ball. Here's this ornament. I mean, I agree. It's lame. But anyway. So the decorations that Trump uh, chose has been criticized widely on the internet, where a video of her walking silently has been, been compared to a scene <laughs> from The Shining, or even a dystopian handmaiden's tale. Among the blood-red trees and thousands of ornaments sits the most colorless Christmas decoration of all, a gingerbread re- replica of the entire National Mall and White House, all in white with no color whatsoever. I think that's cool. I mean, listen, here's my thing. Obviously, I don't support Trump or Melania, but the... A media's obsession with destroying and making fun of everything that they do is boring and irritating. It is boring, but their decorations were scary and terrifying. I mean, an all-white gingerbread house sounds chic to me. Here's the and thing. I love white chocolate, so I would like to eat it. Agreed, but, like, I don't necessarily know. Like, it's supposed... You want... There's something nostalgic about wanting the first lady and about wanting the president or the first man, whoever it is, to be warm. The White House is an old place and it's no. full of old, dusty the, the traditions. The whole thing is like you, uh, when you move in, you get to put your imprint on the place. Well, so like their imprint is scary and crazy. I mean, like her personal style and there's taste. blood everywhere. It's not blood. <laughs> also, I like red Christmas trees. I'm into. I'm into this. And okay. Well, I don't. I think everyone needs to like. 
wipe their mouths off and stop salivating over every opportunity to just like make fun of them. You heard it, heard it here first, folks. Nicole is <laughs> voting for Donald Trump in 2020. <laughs> I'm voting for chic, all white <laughs> gingerbread houses. Let's think about that. That sounds great. Like totally, if you saw that at like RuPaul's Drag Race holiday of party, course. you'd be like, that is great. Absolutely. But it's not that. So that's the thing that's upsetting about it. I think that I also, I reject the tradition. I've never watched it. It's never been a part of my life to watch it. I don't even understand. I never even thought that they had decorations in the White House. I just like, I'm not connected with the White House in that way. So Okay, well, I love the White House. I know everything about it. <laughs> it <means laughs> I vacation there in the summer. <laughs> I always go there. In 2002, um, Laura Bush had Also, their- it's called the White House. I don't know if that, you know, like, one plus one equals two. She was just like, the White House. Look, it's white. I love America. The house is white, and so is everybody that lives no, in it. You sound like the guy <clears throat> from Die Hard. Ah, uh, the house. You stop making everybody's houses green. <laughs> I'm freezing in this house. That's Arnold. I Listen, know. <laughs> in 2002, <laughs> um, the pastry chef created for the Bushes a replica of the White House that was covered in bushy hair. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. I thought bushes meaning bushes, not the president's bushes. No, the president's bushes. Instead of doing the White House gingerbread, he did the their genitals in gingerbread. That's and you're you're not offended by that. No, you are offended by an all white, beautiful gingerbread house. Yeah. <clears throat> he created a house, and then he also created a replica White House that featured past and president present presidential pets that is a t- motherfucking tongue twister past and present presidential pets <laughs> it's almost impossible to say okay wait so there's a whole one white house that's just pure yes bushes. and then there's another there's one that's covered in bushy pubic hair then there's another one that is full of pets made Every of gingerbread pet. and particularly john quincy adams pet alligator and <laughs> carolyn kennedy's horse she had one horse? I mean, I guess. I don't... I they had way more horses. That's all that like was... a pet horse. Sea biscuit, probably. That was one that was... <laughs> Mr. Ed. Um, okay, so anyway, it just kept getting crazier and crazier. In 2009, they did one that had um, a running water fountain in it. What? In 2007, going back a little bit, uh, Bill Yosa's repl- uh, guide pastry chef Wait, named- who was president during the running water one? Obama. Um, in 2007, when Bush was still president, Bill Yosas, the new pastry chef in the White House under the Bush administration, um, started getting creative and he started experimenting with other edible materials to build the homes like white chocolate and even matzo bread, hmm. which I don't know how the Bushes dealt with that. Matzo in the White House? Yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, crazy. Um, okay, so anyway. A little very poor, like very like sturdy though. Sure, a matzo bread, a matzo builds a good house. Um, largest gingerbread house ever made. I want to tell you about coming in at a whopping thirty-five point eight million calories. What you did the calorie, <laughs> which is similar to that bread you made of out of cheese the other day. You were so, telling me about. <laughs> okay, I realize now that the reason that your grandma died from eating a gingerbread house is because she <laughs> ate thirty-five hundred thousand calories. Thirty-five. Point eight million calories. Million calories in one wow. sitting, which would kill anyone. That would give anyone Munchausen by proxy. <laughs> um, and covering an area of twenty five, uh, two thousand five hundred and twenty square feet. That's meaningless to me though, because how many feet do normal houses cover? 
<laughs> I have no idea. Probably the same. <laughs> it's it? nearly the size of a tennis court. Okay, great. The 21-foot-high gingerbread house in Byron, Texas, 90 miles southwest of Houston, has been declared by the Guinness Book of World Records the largest gingerbread house in the motherfucking world. Is it still there? I don't know. I hope not. It's probably covered in bees. This recipe is simple. Mix 1,800 pounds of butter, 2,900 pounds of brown sugar, 7,200 eggs, which that amount of eggs just, like, makes me sick to think about. Hold on. I'm writing this down. And Okay. Okay. And then you sift in 7,200 pounds of all-purpose flour. All-purpose flour. And then 1,080 ounces of ground ginger and a few other ingredients. 1,080 ounces of ground ginger. It's so specific. I don't even need this motherfucker. Uh, and then you bake it somewhere, I guess, in the sun. I don't know any oven that's big enough <laughs> <Where>? to That's <laughs> all that. <laughs> Set it out in the sun for you 50 years. You have to just, like, take it and put it underneath a locket that's launching into space. And yeah. And like, instantly cook. Exactly. Um, my biggest problem with gingerbread houses is... They're gross. People touch them, and then you're supposed to eat them. Don't guess. I was going to okay. just tell you. Sorry. <laughs> People touch them, and you're supposed to just eat them. No, you're not supposed to eat them. That's okay. my biggest problem. Oh, yeah. Them. So I, to me, we also, we, when I was in middle school or grade school, we made gingerbread ornaments that were, like, like hard-baked to sort of last a really oh, long yeah. time. Like, they would be Christmas ornaments that you put up every year uh-huh. on the tree. And I was really mad because I'm like, why would we make something out of food that's not supposed to be eaten? I agree. Why make a fucking house out of gingerbread? No point. Because you can't eat it. In order to make it sturdy and structurally sound, you can't actually, you have to use like glue, like almost like mm-hmm. in the, in, even if you use like fondant, that stuff is like, it's just like, it's not, it doesn't taste good. No. They look cool, but like I just there's my brain does not understand why build a structure out of food that I, you actually can't eat. I completely agree. If you made a gingerbread, if you made me a pizza house, <laughs> I am working on a pizza house for you right now. I would eat it and I would be excited. I love you. I want to marry you and I want to marry you and then move into our new pizza house. <laughs> <laughs> That's me being Italian. Everybody freeze a frozen pizza house. Yeah. I just like, I also, I love gingerbread, the soft gingerbread. Mm, I don't like the crispy, crunchy cookies as much. Mm. I like pretty much, you know what I was thinking about on the way over here today? I like almost everything. And not just in food, just in general. You don't often hear me say, I don't like that. Do you? Uh, Well, you got really mad about Melania's gingerbread house. Well, she's a blazing hot cunt. Am I right? Hmm. Allegedly? That's conjecture. I don't think that we can, we don't have to like say that Donald Trump is her. They're different people. They're separate. Okay. Fair enough. I'm still not a fan. Anyway, do you want to talk about our three favorite Christmas albums on our top three? Yes. Okay. What's yours? By three, I have 420. Go ahead. Let's hear them. So it changes every year what's on heavy rotation for me, but I have a new one this year. Melania's Bright Red Christmas. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, And it's called Christmas Joy in Latvia by the New York Latvian Choir, which is based in Yonkers, and they're a non-professional choir, but it's, it's beautiful. It's Choral, there's sleigh bells and chimes. It's nice. kind of intense, but sounds I, terrifying. I, everything's in Latvian, so you can't understand what they're saying. Perfect. Um, and I'm obsessed. Number two is Phil Spector's mm, "Present You a Merry Christmas," whatever that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I could do without his little murder. No, the, at the end he's like, "I hey, wish you all a merry hey, Christmas." Phil Spector, and, mm, my hair was so crazy when I was on trial for murder. Um, <laughs> 
And it was. It's it was my like, number one favorite one, just so you know. And I also have been listening. Um, Carpenter's Christmas for me oh is God, like so number one, number two, always. Yeah. Um, Amy Grant's Christmas album, which. Oh, what happened to her? Well, I don't know. I think she's still doing stuff. She like, you know, she was a Christian singer. Oh. She became a pop star. Mm-hmm. Um, I was allowed, like my mom was into her because she was Christian. Uh, she made this great Christmas album. Then she started dating country music star, I think Vince Gill, I could be wrong about the mm-hmm. name, while he was still married to someone else. So it was scandal. a huge scandal, even though she's supposedly a Christian. And then they he divorced his wife and they got married. And then who knows what happens after that. Oh, my God. Um, also... This isn't in my usual rotation, but it comes out as I, the Harry Connick Jr. Christmas oh, album. I love Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, he's a babe. The look, the feel. He's wearing a red turtleneck sweater on the cover uh-huh. of that album. It's amazing. <laughs> it's hilarious he's to hot. me. Um, I love him. Yeah. Um, what else we got? We have um, um, White Christmas, the album. Bing, Bing Crosby. Crosby. Yes. Um, we also have this is new to me the Ventures one which is just like surf rock mm-hmm. Christmas no that's words amazing. it's yeah. fun mm-hmm. it's like it's like cool it is cool um, and then there's also the um, like the Death Row Records Christmas that's album that's an amazing one which is just fun to put on to really change fun. it up and I'm missing one but I'll remember when you talk about yours Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that I was also going to talk about mine. You <laughs> named every single Christmas album in life. Uh-uh. My number three is Mariah Carey's Christmas album. Yes. My number two is John Denver and the Muppets. Oh, I actually don't know that one. Oh, it's really good. I have it on record. I can. I have it on here. record too, but I've literally never listened to it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's fun. And um, there's like one song on there. It's like, Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. If you wanna, no, 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 I'm like, that's a good song. Um, and then my number one is Phil Spector and the Ronettes. Yeah. I also just remembered Chipmunks Christmas. Oh. Love. Of course, I love the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's a classic. I don't care if every basic bitch in the world listens to it. It's. No, it's great. The great unifier. Sure. And my sister and I, this is pretty obscure, but there's. It's like Merry Christmas from Tupperware, like when you bought Tupperware. Like when, it's funny. That I'm, is a deep cut. I'm listening to this podcast about direct marketing, which Tupperware was one of those like mm-hmm. scams um, in the 80s. And basically, if you bought this Tupperware, you got this free cassette tape, which is like a Merry Christmas from Tupperware. My what mom, are the songs like? I mean, there's Carpenter song on there. Oh, wow. There's like an instrumental song of sleigh bells that I really like because there's like a real horse whinny in it. Oh, and that's cool. Um, it's just very nostalgic, but I actually found it on eBay and bought my sister the vinyl record of it. Because it's, it's very much like our childhood. Yeah, my yeah. mom had it on tape and we would listen to it all the time. It's really cute. I know. That's awesome. I hope you have a really nice Christmas in Indiana. Thank you. I think I might spend Christmas alone this year if there's any single men out there that want to come join me for <laughs> a <laughs> mug of hot chocolate in the bath. Just kidding. No. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Our friend Steven told, us the other, told me the other day. <laughs> We're like out at dinner, and he's like, I think I might go home. He's British, if you can't tell. I think I might go home and take a bath and drink a mug of hot cocoa. And I almost just vomited right there on the spot. Almost as bad as having someone read poetry to you. Wow. Uh, The image of that. Okay, anyway. Have Merry Christmas, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. And a Happy New Year. We're going on break. Happy New Year to you. We won't be back until... We don't know when. Happy 2020. We'll be back on January 8th. Great. 
Love you, everybody. Hasta the Christmas pasta. Bye-bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.